Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guest this week is Michael Showalter. This is his fourth time on the show. Four. And somehow this is his first interview on our show by himself. Michael Showalter is a member of the sketch comedy group The State, who had their own show on MTV in the 90s, genuine Gen X comedy legends. With his fellow State members, David Wayne and Michael Ian Black, he also starred on Stella, a Comedy Central series that is one of my personal all-time favorites. Oh, and Showalter and Wayne also directed Wet Hot American Summer, one of the most unique, enduring cult comedies of the 21st century. And I'm just going to say it, probably one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Today is the big culminating climactic softball game against evil Camp Tiger Claw. Boo! We have put together an unlikely team of misfits, and we've been trading like crazy all summer. Yeah, it's a motley crew that you'd think would never even be able to win a single game. We had a kooky training period where it seemed like, well, it seemed like nothing was going to go right. But guys, somehow we made it to the finals. So I say, when those anonymously evil campers from Tiger Claw get here, we give it our best shot, and we try to come from behind at the last minute with some weird trick play that we made up, and we win the game. What do you say, team? Sounds like pretty well-worn territory. The whole thing feels kind of trite. I say we forget it. Is that how everybody feels? Yeah. Yeah. Lately, Showalter has been spending more and more time behind the camera as a director. He directed the Academy Award-nominated drama The Big Sick, starring Kumail Nanjiani. He also directed and co-created the HBO show Search Party. Showalter's newest movie is called Spoiler Alert, and he directed it. It's a romantic comedy based on the book, spoiler alert, The Hero Dies, a memoir by TV writer Michael Osiello. It's about Osiello and his relationship with his partner, Kit Cowan. Osiello is played by Jim Parsons from The Big Bang Theory. Cowan is played by Ben Aldrich. Michael and Kit meet. They move in together, grow closer, grow more distant. Then, About 13 years into their relationship, Kit is diagnosed with a rare, deadly form of cancer. A little over a year later, it claims Kit's life. That's the spoiler. If there's a theme in Michael Showalter's recent work, it's an ability to find comedy in dark and vulnerable places. He does it without coming off as phony or betraying the gravity of the situations. Like in this scene from Spoiler Alert. A nurse has just told Michael that the hospital's out of beds. Kit will have to get chemo treatment in a chair. Hey! Give my husband a bed. Sir, I'm afraid we have He has a rectal tumor the size of the Death Star. He needs a bed. We've promised a bed. All the beds are occupied today. I don't care where you have to go and find one. I don't care if you have to drive to Ikea and buy one. I don't care if you have to go to Jennifer Convertibles. Give my husband a bed! Okay, sir. Okay. We'll find your husband a bed. Thank you. 
Well, that was Oscar worthy. He worked for Shirley MacLaine. I think the husband detail really swung it for you. Well, boyfriend didn't seem dramatic enough. <laughs> Michael Showalter, welcome back to Bullseye. It's nice to Great see to you. Great to be here. Great to see you. Jim Parsons is a producer on this movie. Did he come to you or did you come to him? I actually came to him, but I discovered that he was looking for a Michael Showalter type to direct the movie, um, but didn't think I would want to do it because of similarities between this film and The Big Sick. Um, but I read about that he had optioned this material and um, reached out to him and said, this sounds really interesting. Do you guys have a director? And that was way before we had a script or anything like that. So I sort of partnered up with Jim sort of from the earliest stages of this project. What is a Michael Showalter type? You've sat someone in audition who's, rooms someone to who's direct not me. films. Well, no, it's like... Uh, guys that look like you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it was, you know, someone, I guess, who's that tone of a director, you know, the sort of funny character driven, but with drama. Um, no, I always remember... Back in the day, Janine Garofalo telling me she was always up for parts that were for a Janine Garofalo type, and then she wouldn't get the part. Um, but uh, no, so I think they were they were like, "This is amazing because you're who we you're our dream person for this." And we then went around meeting with writers who, with and hearing ideas and takes, and we partnered up with David Marshall Grant and Dan Savage, and they had an unbelievable sort of vision for a, for a version of the movie and an adaptation. And then a uh, couple years went by and they wrote many drafts. And then we were, all of a sudden we were making the movie. Did you know that Jim Parsons was good at acting? <laughs> I did. I mean, I want to be clear, like Jim Parsons is wonderful in his career making role uh, on, t- yeah. on a television sitcom, a multi-camera television sitcom, but that's a very different kind of performance. Yeah. I did know he was good at acting. And in, and in fact, found myself intrigued by him, which was part of what I was interested in with this project is I sort of, there's certain actors whose careers I'm find intriguing, the choices that they make or the choices they don't make. And he's someone in that category who I found, I found very intriguing the kinds of choices I saw him making post the big bang theory, um, wanting to do theater, wanting to do independent film, wanting to do more serious roles. Um, and I did see him on Broadway doing uh, Boys in the Band, and he's spectacular in that. So I kind of am always, you know, I think I, I think I can relate to that, to kind of being seen one way and wanting to do something a different way. And so I gravitate towards people who, who I feel like have something that they want to show the world that maybe the world hasn't seen yet. And Jim definitely felt to me like he was that person. And so I was really excited to see him playing this character who's, you know, who's got a whole range of attributes that are not, you know, what we're used to from Jim and his inner life and sexuality and, and, um, angry and, and joyful and just the whole range of emotions that we get to see with this character that he plays in the film. The character that he plays, uh, based on a real life human being is a television critic or television journalist. And, is obsessed with television, and that's part of the movie. Um, you know, you tell a little bit of the story of his childhood as though it were a, you know, a multi-camera 80 sitcom. How did you think about how the audience would look at this celebrated sitcom man uh, who is playing someone who watches that, whose life is built around watching that, 
uh, and who is sort of alternately depicted as a child within that world that Jim Parsons was the king of. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of... I like, know. It, it's one thing to just say, like, what's it like to see somebody that's been in our house every week in a different way, right? That's like a classic, what do you do about being a sitcom actor thing? This is a much more complicated stew. Yes. And I feel like, um, you know, I do like things that have a meta, meta quality to them. And I think every... Thing I've done, I like to think that in a, in this sort of meta way that the movie is is about what the movie's about. It's about what the characters in the movie are dealing with in the movie. But as a fan of cinema and looking at things in a certain way, it's also about the actor, the individual actor that's playing that part. And so this movie is in certain ways about Jim, in the same way that it's sort of about me, in the same way that it's sort of about um, Sally and all the other actors in the film. It's it's predominantly the story of these characters and Michael Osiello's true story and all of that. But I I like the ability that we have in in these things to also say something about the actors themselves. And so I think there's a little bit of of I don't know what it means. I don't have uh, I can't say for sure what I think it means other than that I think it's interesting. And I would say that that's true of other things I've done too, where I I think. The Eyes of Tammy Faye is about Jessica Chastain in as much as it's about Tammy Faye. And I could, you know, say, go through the other things I've done and say the same thing. So I haven't thought through the, all the meaning of it, but I do think it's intriguing that Jim plays this character being who he is. This is a relationship movie, and I thought that was the most successful part of the film. Like, I really was touched by the relationship between these two guys. Um, how do you cast for that like chemistry yeah like how how can you tell because um, you've you've made you've made a lot of movies about romances now mm -hmm. so how can you tell whether it's going to feel for reals yeah you can't really you can't um i should say that you can and i have a secret system for it but um i think you you i think i have a type of actor that I gravitate towards, that I'm looking for a certain quality that they might have, um, that is a sort of openness, a kind of a sense that they're, that there's some sort of honesty about them, whatever, however that is conveyed that like we're, you're seeing the full person. Um, and so I think you don't know, well, I'll back up a, a bit. I, I like casting people that I think would be nice to me at a party. <laughs> Um, and so I'm looking for people that have a certain quality that I'm drawn to, that makes me think that there's a, like I said, a kind of an openness about them and, a, and an authenticity to them. And then you hope that in the process of, of working with that person, that that openness is conveyed and that those two people do have chemistry, but you don't know, you don't. It's funny that you describe that quality of openness in somebody that would be nice to you. Because I think in your career as a performer, um, which, you know, these days you're primarily a director, but once upon a time you were primarily a writer and performer, um, many characters you played were like open-eyed and sweet to the point of madness, like complete obscene, like nightmarish <laughs> sweetness. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So it's something you've always been into. Yeah. I mean, it literally is what I said, which is if, would this person be nice to me at a dinner party? Do I think this person would be nice to me at a dinner party? 
and I, yeah, I respond. I don't know. I, 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 it's that part of me that wants to just be liked and accepted and, um, and to feel invited, included somehow. And so I think that's what I look for. That's definitely the quality that I look for. We've got more coming with Michael Showalter. When we come back from our break, Sally Field also stars in Spoiler Alert. It's Showalter's second time directing her. She's frankly one of the best to ever do it. And we'll talk to Michael about how he managed to forge a relationship with a legend. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Michael Showalter. He was a founding member of the sketch comedy group The State. He also helped make possible cult comedy favorites like Wet Hot American Summer, The Baxter, and Search Party. He just directed the film Spoiler Alert, which is streaming now on Peacock. It's a drama about a couple, Michael Asiello, who's played by Jim Parsons, and Kit Cowan, who's played by Ben Aldridge. It follows the story of their relationship. The spoiler in the title is that Kit dies of cancer. Let's get into the rest of our conversation. Your most famous uh, sketch comedy character from this state, it was the uh, guy who says, I'm out of here. Yes, yes exactly. Um, Whose father is cooler than he is. Yeah. He's trying to rebel against his, he's trying to be rebellious, but it's hard to be rebellious when your parents are cooler than you are. And is a you know like most of the recurring things on on the state was also kind of a parody of the idea of recurring things. Yes, and you know you did Stella for years, which was I it's so hard to even characterize the tone of Stella. Like it was like three wide eyed monsters, monsters, but with a sort of open to the world, no memory yes. sweetness. Yes. Uh, to them and like you know you made uh, like a both a farcical parody romantic comedy movie with David Wayne and you made a sort of sideways what if romantic comedy movie in the Baxter um, so like you had approached these ideas every sideways before mm-hmm. so at some point did you feel like you had the courage to approach those things directly mm-hmm. and purely sincerely? Yeah. Yes. And and what what I think I started to feel like um there was a limitation to the kind of meta thing where everything was in quotes like there might even be a scene of real drama or or you know there might actually be a scene in some Stella something we might have done in Stella where the characters really are experiencing deep emotions, but it was a joke. Like the joke was, isn't this funny how serious this is? Isn't it funny how tragic the scene is becoming or something? And as much as I love doing that and still love doing that, I listened, I do listen to pay and pay attention to, you know, the criticisms because I want my work to be seen. Um, I'm not satisfied to just have it, be something that is cult-like or or divisive in some way. I actually aspire to have my my stuff being be accessible. When you say your earlier work was divisive, like I want to be clear that I'm against it. You should be. Yeah, I don't care for it. Yeah, I mean, people would, you know, people 
the 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 anger, the hate that came at us for Stella and Wet Hot. Um, <laughs> I think like, so Wet Hot American Summer, one of my favorite movies, Roger Ebert, the great American film critic, the, perhaps the greatest, Pauline Kael and Roger Ebert, right? He, he wrote a parody of Hello Mudda, Hello Fada about how much he hated yeah. Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. And like, he's the, he's the famous film critic that enjoys comedy. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and the same thing I remember, you know, Vic, uh, Virginia Heffernan, who I love and think is so brilliant and so smart and so with it. And all of these things wrote the most, the most scathing review of uh, Stella when, when we had our show on Comedy Central. I remember reading that. It made me so mad. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I'm thinking like, but this is Airplane. This is, you know, a Steve, early Steve Martin. Like everyone loves. It's much weirder than those. Well, that's what I found out. That's what I yeah. found out. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how weird it was. Like airplane is how many jokes can you make? Yeah. Which is, I mean, airplane is perfect. Yes. Like, no, not a word bad said to me from yeah. about airplane. Yeah. And Steve Martin is, as much as he was making fun of zaniness, he had an, a certain kind of zaniness that people could just take at face and enjoy on that And basis. I hope that that's what we were doing. I, I... You know, I, it's like, you don't know yourself. I didn't, I really didn't know that we weren't doing that. I thought we were doing that. Um, or I, maybe I hoped we were doing that. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it never, for me, it never felt good to have that kind of, um, polarizing. I never enjoyed that there was as many people who hated it as liked it. I didn't like that feeling at all. Was that just because you wanted everyone to like you, not to put too fine a point on it? Um, no, it's because I wanted people to get it. I, I don't want people to not get it. I don't I don't want it to be something that only certain people understand. I'm sure there's a big part of it that's wanting to be liked. Um, but it's more that, in all honesty, I think if I had made something where I was like, I'm making this and I know for a fact as I'm doing it, that it will offend half of the audience and it will the other half of the audience will like it and that's my intention. But that wasn't my intention. My intention was to make something that could affect an audience the way Airplane affected me or the way The Jerk affected me or the way uh, any, you know, or the or Imani Python or, or, or on down the list where there was an absurd, crazy, avant-garde, sort of sense of humor being being on display that but that was ultimately not trying to hurt anybody or was ultimately celebrating um creativity and comedy and all these different things and i suppose i i am someone who who takes the criticism very 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 hard it's a it's and it's something i need to work on is the 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 reaction the the what people say, I pay too much attention. I, I care too much what about what they say. I don't read it. I don't read anymore, but I, I kind of know what, what's being said. And I don't, I don't, it, it, I need to get better at, at sort of being okay with that people are going to have their opinions and it's not my business what they say. One of the things that I have most admired in another human being in my entire life is uh, my friend Dave Holmes, who got famous in the most difficult circumstances ever by finishing second in the MTV Wanna Be a VJ contest. Oh, yeah. I remember Dave Holmes. Famous weirdo Jesse Camp. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and got a job anyway and was like the square guy. Wasn't that, he like dinner in a movie guy? Uh, I think that was Paul Gilmartin hosted that one. Somebody <laughs> else also hosted it. I'm trying to think of who else besides Paul did. But Dave has hosted, oh, Dave has hosted many, many television yes. shows over many years. He uh, writes for Esquire, I think now. Hmm. Um, brilliant and wonderful guy. And one time I said to him like, man, you know, like you had to go do – club appearances to make a living like walk on stage at a nightclub in newark and wave and say hey it's me dave holmes from mtv have a fun night um and like how do you deal with the people that like hate you and he goes i've never read any of it never i was like really he's like yeah i just i didn't just didn't <laughs> it's like what <laughs> i know lots of people who say that and, but he, and maybe and he it's, meant I'm, it that no, was what was crazy well, to me no and i'm sure it's true and i know lots of people who don't read what's written about them and i know lots of people who don't care the reason that i can't do that easily is because i read this stuff myself so i read movie reviews in the new york times i read television reviews in the new york times i read you know i read all the trades i read Vanity Fair and Esquire. And I read what people write. I read the think pieces. I read the criticism of pop culture, positive and negative. I pay attention to it. And I am interested in it. Like I said, I think Virginia Heffernan or yourself or any number of people who's who kind of live in that space where they are talking about pop culture and writing about pop culture and thinking about pop culture, I consume that. And so it's very hard to say, but I draw, but I won't read it if it's about me or I won't pay attention to it. It's about me because I, I, so I think I don't know Dave Holmes at all, but I wonder if Dave Holmes is maybe just not into reading reviews of anything. And he's just not that guy. I don't know. I don't know. But I think it's hard when you read that stuff about other things to not read it, to have no concept of it when it's about you. But I am busy. So I'm doing things that are getting written about for enough to where I've gotten better at it. I've definitely gotten better at it about not sort of opening the Pandora's box of what's being said, positive or negative. You're going to have to turn in your Gen X icon card that you earned when you were 23 making the state uh, over this thing about trying to make things that people enjoy. <laughs> What do you mean? Like I'm not supposed to like I'm not supposed to care? Yeah, you're supposed to you, you and Kim Deal or whatever are supposed to be off in a bar in New York. Oh my god. Talking about things you don't like. Oh my god, if only. If I mean Kim De if if I could ever be thought of as as in any sort of continuum with Kim Deal, I could I could uh, be done for. I remember when I did uh, when we did Big Sick and Judd Apatow. I believe I would like to quote him on this. Maybe he would refute this. Said, you know, about reviews, like you can't read the good or the bad. It's like you, you just none of it can count. And like I said, many people I've worked with have said the same thing. Sally Field says that, and all these people that you know, Jim Parsons doesn't read anything. I want to achieve that. That's that's maybe that's my New Year's resolution for 2023 is to like really get to a place where I can let go of of caring what other people say. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Michael Showalter. He directed The Big Sick, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and the new romantic drama Spoiler Alert. Sally Field is in this movie, and she was in she was the star of Hello, My Name Is Doris. It was really like a a vehicle for her. Um. And she's so wonderful in both. And 
I was uh I was working look, I don't I'm not here to brag about my career successes, but I was I working, want you to do that though. I was working on my Burt Reynolds movie recap podcast. Ooh. And um I watched Smoking and the Bandit, in which she is just spectacularly good. Just spectacularly good. And I think I grew up imagining her to be, as a person who's 10 years younger than you, like imagining her to be a lady that cries in movies. Mm. Um, I think I missed her funniness Mm. substantially. And she really is the embodiment of that thing that you were describing wishing you could find in performers or voices or whatever that kind of open-heartedness and whether she's being serious or goofy or ditzy or whatever she's such an open-hearted performer Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah she brings her whole self to it and she yeah she gives you everything she gives you every shade her her humor her 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 um there's a a kind of a rage there there's a there's a an anger there there's a strength there's a there's vulnerability there's joy there's there's sexiness there's sweetness there's incredible wisdom she's she's the she's incredible she's incredible did you have her in mind when you before you cast her on hello my name is Doris? yes was um, it always a Sally Field vehicle? Only no. you hadn't asked Sally Field yet? No, because I would have never imagined Sally Field would do the movie. And so it was ne- I would never have said a Sally it would never have said it was a vehicle for her because I just wanted to make the movie. I wanted to tell the story. I always felt like if she, the ultimate best person to play this part would be her because she has all the right she ha- combines all the right elements that are needed to pull this character off. But because of who she was and because of the kinds of movies that she's done, which is not a lot of small movies like this, if any, that I'm aware of, um, it never crossed my mind that she would do the movie. So when she did agree to do the movie, it was sort of like, oh, my God. It was sort of like, you know, getting into, you know, like suddenly you're on stage playing for a million people because I have this opportunity now to do something with this film that I never thought was possible. I actually have an actor that can play this character who's of that caliber. Um, and uh, she is she is what you hope she is. She is that person who's a good, who she is the person you hope she is, you know? And that's not to say that she's perfect or anything like that. She's, she's a very complex human being, but she's a, a wonderful, wonderful um, person who, who, you know, I'm so, I'm genuinely so happy that I've had this opportunity to work with her a few times. Did you write her a letter like, dear Ms. Field, my name is Michael Showalter from MTV's The State. I've been given $300,000 to make a film. Um, no, it was uh, maybe actually. I can't remember, but I do know that we um, sent her the script um, and it was very, yeah, it was probably something like that. I'm your biggest fan and it would mean so much to me if you'd even read this, you know. Um, and, and I was her biggest fan. I mean, you talk about uh, Smoking the Bandit, and I did love her in those Burt Reynolds movies. But then she made this sort of string of movies when I was sort of starting to really get into movies like Soap Dish and Punchline and and um, uh, 
Miss Doubtfire and and where she was sort of doing these kind of sillier type roles and um, where I got to see her comedy, her comedic, um, how funny she could be on top of those other things that you mentioned and all the incredible performances that she's given. I mean, that same that same stuff is what makes her funny. Yeah. Like in Smokey and the Bandit next to Burt Reynolds, who's, you know, uh, chewing gum and staring off at the horizon yes. line as he is wont to do. He's great. He's great in the movie. I have nothing. He's amazing, Burt Reynolds. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like as he's doing that and she's like flitting around him, you know, taking off her pants in the passenger seat of the car and stuff, like the thing that puts it over, the reason that you can see this weird uh, truck driver man liking her and keeping her in the car and the reason that you can see her staying in the car with this is is that quality, that hilarious quality of like open-eyed mm-hmm. You know, like present. Yeah, there's a presentness to her. Yeah, um, but yeah, when we 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 she read the script and it was like, you know, that phone call that was like Sally Field read your script and she's interested in meeting you. And so we went and had coffee at at a Pan Cotidien. Yeah, I hope I pronounced that right. Wow. In um in uh, Santa Monica. That's known as the Cosi of Santa Monica. Yes, Incredible and uh, we hit it off. I was. Absolutely shaking with nervousness and completely starstruck and completely, you know, wearing a new shirt kind of thing. And Had you ever blown one of those before? Yes, for sure. Do you feel comfortable telling me what you had blown? No, no, not on, not on, not on record, not on record. Um, I, uh. You had a fresh shirt on. Well, I was going to say, and the thing is, is that my children had just been born. My, my, uh, or, or were about to be born. So it was a crazy time. I just moved to LA and and I have my we have we have twin daughters and they were about to be born or had just been born. I have to go look at my calendar and it was like I had this meeting with Sally Field and then my children were born and then I remember we were in this tiny little place we were renting in Studio City and I was upstairs probably like getting diapers for my kids and then it was like I you know saw on my phone I saw my phone ringing and I think it said CAA on my phone and we had in-laws in the house and the house was filled with all the insanity of when you have a newborn and I answered the phone and it was it was the manager and the agent on the phone together and they said so Sally wants to do your movie it was just one of those moments where you're like oh my god I can't believe this is real you know Sally wants to do your movie and I just about had a heart attack right there um and uh and then that $300,000, this is all stuff I've said before, that $300,000 became a million dollars. And suddenly we had a giant budget of a million dollars to make the movie. And uh, and it was great. It was really great. And she was an incredible collaborator. And she encouraged me to follow those instincts that we've talked about to, to, to kind of take the quotation marks off and to go further into the into the you know, the drama and the character stuff and to trust those instincts and, and to really try to be a filmmaker. What is going on here? Who Who is this guy? What's happening? Why is he still here? I don't understand you were acting so weird and you don't even look us in the face. You're acting so weird. He's my boyfriend, Mom. Your boyfriend? Yes. I'm... I'm gay. I'm gay too. 
You have some great parents uh, in, in these movies. Sally Field and, and Bill Irwin are so, so great in this movie. And I think like Ray Romano and Holly Hunter in The Big Sick are just, just two of two of my favorite comedy film performances. Um, not just because they were so, not just in terms of maximum funniness, but just overall performances. Um, what is your, this movie made me think of my relationship with my wife's parents. Um, what has been your relationship with, with partners, parents over the years? Uh, um, I have a good, very good relationship with my wife's parents. They actually live in LA. Um, they moved here from Tennessee, which is where they're from. Um, so they retired and moved out here. And there's similarities in, you know, that all of these parents that, that you're mentioning are are kind of composites of my parents and my wife's parents and other friends I know's parents. And um what I see as, as similar is, you know, these are these are people that have stayed together. These are people that have kind of kept their relationship going and you don't that it's not perfect that but that there's a kind of a an idea that runs through both of those movies and that I think is something I believe which is that you know relationships take work relationships take sacrifice relationships take commitment this runs sort of contrary to what a lot of romantic comedies want to tell you which is that you meet the one and then it's easy it's easy street for the rest of your life you just are in love with that person and everything's easy and so these are characters that have that have worked for it, that have really fought for it, um, and and are better for that. I think Bill Irwin and Ray Romano are also also both very strong arguments in favor of how funny it is when a dad slumps slightly. <laughs> yes, the puttering, the, the puttering <laughs> father, just an, the puttering, muttering dad, <laughs> which I feel like I'm sort of becoming that um, myself. So I think I sort of see a lot of. Uh, there's something heroic about that kind of character who 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 is just wants to be a good guy and just wants to be a good husband and a good father and a work work hard and um and you know he's not the dashing you know leading man he's he's the Baxter in a lot of ways there there's a i think my favorite grace note in um spoiler alert is the the two protagonists have come to the parents' house, um, and Sally Field calls Bill Irwin over to carry their luggage, um, which is funny because they're you know forty year old men and he's sixty five or whatever. Um, but also, he we see him just pick up the luggage and just his head drops a little <laughs> and you're like, Oh, right. Bill Irwin is the world's greatest clown. In addition to being a great actor, <laughs> because that's the funniest thing I've ever said. And it somehow didn't break the tone of the film. I mean, when he, um, when there's the scene in the movie where the Ben Aldridge character kit finally comes out to his parents in a kind of ridiculous situation. And they're kind of asked, it's all about like, why is, what is Jim Parsons doing hanging around? Like he's sort of this friend that won't go away and there's Sally Field's character zeroing in on it. Like, who is this guy? Why won't he go anywhere? Bill Irwin has almost no dialogue in that scene. He's just sort of following the conversation and his expressions on his face as he's following this conversation between Sally Field and Ben Aldridge, getting to the core of what it is, which is that Ben finally admits that 
Jim Parsons is his boyfriend, um, are so funny. And he never says a single word in the scene. And it's just what you said, which is it just reminds you, oh my God, this guy, what this guy can do without dialogue. Um, and the, the his body language and his his facial expressions and just the range of emotion that he can portray with just his body and his face is unbelievable. And um, he is amazing. He is truly incredible. I love the idea that between Jim and Sally and 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 Bill, there's these these three kind of American comic treasures all in their own different way, all sharing space in this movie is really special. I sometimes think that I've, I'm just approaching the point of my life where I'm really going to like walking around with my hands behind my back. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that kind sure, of like walking, sure. you know, clasped. Absolutely. And your head forward a little bit. Is yeah. your head forward a little bit? Just yeah. giving some consideration to the park or what have you. Yeah. A museum. I could see, I think you'd, I think that could be extraordinary for you. Well, do you see my shoes? I've already got the big, the big. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But we got to get you some. You're wearing you're wearing sort of daddish New Balances, but those are too en vogue. We need to get you some Rockports. Ooh. Let's get you a pair of yes. Let's get you a pair of Mephisto. I want Mephisto. That's there. what I want. I want Mephisto. Yeah. I need some Mephisto. Um. Yeah. Or some. Yeah. Some Clarks. Um. But these are really quite comfortable. I must say. <laughs> I think sometimes about that scene from Mad Men. Where January Jones's dad puts salt on his ice cream, and it is such a gorgeous dad moment. Mm. He just has his. He knows what his life is. Mm -hmm. He knows he should put some salt on his ice cream because mm -hmm. it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what getting old. Getting older isn't isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's there's a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of things come into into focus as you get older. You can't be as cute anymore. Like, like no, you're not as cute because Mike. That was an important part of your persona was being cute, and I don't just mean like good looking, although you are very good looking. Oh, thank you. But I mean like being puckishly adorable, even hmm. if sometimes it was an ironic version of huh. I never or an ironicized version. I never thought of that. I never thought of myself as puckishly adorable. Well. I think I, I'm I, here, I know you don't listen to what people have to say, but uh, I'm here to tell you, you were puckish. I had sort of aspirations to be kind of like, you know, John Cusack or, 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 or like uh, Jason Bateman, but it just was never meant to be. I, I, I didn't have that extra gear. You're too much needed. of a doofus. Yeah, I mean, too, on screen no, as a performer. It's so true. It's so true. Like so Cusack true. in particular is so sharp. He's cool. Yeah. He's very cool. And I think my inner doofus couldn't be, couldn't be, uh, could, I couldn't keep my inner doofus under the rug. We'll wrap up with Michael Showalter after a quick break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
I'm Jordan Morris. And I'm Jesse Thorne. On Jordan Jesse Go, we make pure, delightful nonsense. We rope in awesome guests and bring them down to our level. We got stupid with Judy Greer. My friend Molly and I call it having the space weirds. Pat Oswalt. Can I get a Balrog burger and some Aragorn fries? Thank you. And Kumail Nanjiani. I've come back with cat toothbrushes, which is impossible to use. Come get stupider with us at MaximumFun.org. Look, your podcast app's already open. Just pull it out. Give Jordan Jesse Go a try. Being smart is hard. Be dumb instead. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Michael Showalter. Let's get into the rest of our conversation. I'm sure you spent 15 to 20 years auditioning to be in network sitcoms. Sure. If you had gotten one of those network sitcoms and it had been, I mean, it doesn't have to be the Big Bang Theory. If it had been a show that ran for five years or whatever, do you think you would still be acting? Still be acting and auditioning for television shows? Probably not, ultimately. I mean, I'm not a big believer in in like, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a fluke that I'm not, that that didn't happen. Like, I, I kind of think it's probably, there's a reason why I not, didn't get that show or whatever. Um, but uh, I really love being on the other side of it. And so I think I there's a natural evolution that took place, which is that I enjoy making the thing. I enjoy writing it. I enjoy working with the writers. I, I enjoy the prep part where you're going around working out of an office and hiring people and staffing up and scouting locations. And I enjoy the administrative part as much as I enjoy. And, and whereas being an actor and I enjoy working with actors, I love the craft of acting as a, as a fan, as an audience member. Um, it requires certain skills that I don't have or that I don't enjoy such as taking care of yourself and being healthy and and um and in a certain commitment to being good at that there's a certain not just i don't mean the taking care of yourself. to be a good actor you need to be a good actor and and good acting requires the same level of of passion about that about the job about the job of acting that any any job requires i did not have that I never had, having now worked with lots of fantastic actors, I see a desire to be good at that mm-hmm. that I never had. Yeah. They, I, they think about it a lot. They, it's what gets them up in the morning is, how am I going to play this part really well? I never had that. I think I've probably brought this up seven times on this show, but one time Gillian Jacobs was here from uh, I, many wonderful things, I, wonderful I, actress. Yes. And... Um, I asked her how she felt about always having to audition for things because that's like my worst nightmare. And um, she was like, oh, I don't, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? Why is that? Because to me, going into a room for people to decide whether you're good or bad is the worst life well, I she can said, imagine. she said, because I like acting? Because she likes acting. Mm-hmm. So she's like, when I go to an audition, I enjoy acting there. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's it. That's it. And I'll tell you, when I go and I have a meeting with someone about an idea, about a project, that it's something I want to direct or that I want to produce, I enjoy those meetings. Exact same thing. I enjoy talking to somebody about a story that I want to tell or a character that I'm interested in or a project that I'm interested in. And I walk out of those. I never walk out of that feeling 
exposed or vulnerable because I feel like I'm in my element. I'm happy to talk about it. You don't want to do it. That's fine. Someone else will do it or whatever. And whereas, and, and I have, I think on some level, it's a similar thing you might get when, with the good actors, which is I like acting. So you turn me on, I go, or I, I watch all the singing competition shows. And it's like, if you're a good singer, it's just like, give me a mic and, and I open my mouth and I start singing and beautiful sounds come out of out of my mouth when I start singing and it's like that's just talent and it's a joy to work hard at something yeah, that you're and it's just talent and and I think for me acting was always a way to make money or a way to you know be you know help me meet people socially or and it was kind of fun and but I never again I see what a real what real acting is and I care enough about doing something the right way that I don't want to be an actor. If that's, if, if I'm not doing what that person's doing and putting the effort in and these people are taking classes and they're working at it, just they're working at it because they view it as a craft. And I love that. I never had that kind of um, discipline about it. And like when I go and see a play or a movie, there's not one part of me that's going, Oh man, I wish I was up there or, or, if I were doing this, what would I do differently or anything? I'm just enjoying it. And and that was eye-opening for me too because I don't think – I'm certainly not like that with writing or directing, although I do think I can enjoy other people's work. But there isn't that feeling of how would I do that or what would I do differently. It's, it's just no connection to it at all. Do you feel like if your current success, which is notable, was taken away from you? as typically happens in show business, um, that you could still be satisfied doing the work? Like what happens if you make two things that people don't like? Mm -hmm. Which is always a fear. I mean, it's a likelihood. Yeah. Very, I mean, it's very, very unusual yeah. that that doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So when the string likely plays out mm -hmm. of getting to make feature films and stuff, mm -hmm. Do you think you will get the same satisfaction from what you are doing then? You mean the next thing? Yeah. Whatever comes after that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and don't snow me here. I'll give you a straight answer. Okay. Um, I think that I will enjoy, I always enjoy the process. So so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to, first of all, I'm like, really hope that whoever has the ability to decide this isn't won't listen to this mm -hmm. podcast. So right. whoever gets to decide my fate isn't also listening to this show. Oh, I thought you meant like whoever gets to decide who directs no, episodes I'm, of Airwolf 2035. No, I'm saying like if the, the job you might get after. No, like whoever can't is, is like going to put me in director's jail. I hope that they're not listening right. to your show. Um, I mean, many directors whose work I love and I will from time to time go, what happened to that guy or that woman? And I'll look them up on IMDb and usually they do have a career. It's just not what it was. It's different. Um, I think I would be happy doing the thing that they're doing if it's not the thing that I'm doing now. I think because I like working with people, I like the process of making a movie. I like enjoy the collaboration. I enjoy going to work every day. I like being on set. I like working with people. So that part will always be there for me. Um, and then I always will 
have that other thing that I'm working on that's that's keeping me keeping that flame burning that I'm also meanwhile I'm writing my you know I'm writing my great movie that I'll that I'll that I now suddenly have time to do that I suddenly have a little space to so that's you know I spent many 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 years not doing not being as not having the the opportunities that I have now um and I always I think I always have a kind of a magical thinking that 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 it's going to come that moment's going to come and I'm going to get my chance and and I can dream I'm a big dreamer and so I could dream about the thing that that is going to be the thing that if I'm if I'm doing Airwolf is going to get me back doing the other thing I don't even know what Airwolf is is that Jan Michael Vincent Yeah it was about a uh, yeah. like a robotic attack helicopter, sure, sure, sure. I think. Sure, sure, sure. If I remember, that right. was like in the like the the Knight Rider, and there was like yeah. the 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 humanoid vehicle genre. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's due for a comeback in twenty thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I mean, t- I I I hope I am always. I hope I always am working on interesting projects. They don't all have to be the the biggest, brightest, shiniest thing. I just like working on interesting projects. And then maybe you could putter a little. You could and, do some yeah, puttering. Well, yeah. And then at a certain point, I just, hopefully I could just retire and and take up some hobby. Um, what, what do you think the hobby is? Woodworking? Um, woodwork could be good. Uh, pottery. I could see pottery. Pottery. You um, get a home kiln. I would love to, oh, definitely get a home kiln. I would love to like, and then like have a, little stand or something at like an arts show, like be one of those people that sits at in like a little tent at an arts show and like does the crossword puzzle while people look at their pottery and then ask you how much it is. And you're like, well, I'll give it to you for whatever, you know? Yeah. That could be fun. Love it. Set up a little pop-up tent. Mm-hmm. A little pop-up tent. I love everything about this. Mm-hmm. Do crossword puzzles. Um, I would enjoy maybe learning to scuba dive. Underwater stuff, snorkeling, scuba diving, looking at the fish. Just underwater stuff in general. Underwater stuff. Mm-hmm. Like James Cameron. Yeah. Yes. Is he Is he a big snorkeler? He has submarines. I mean, I know he, he has made, a fleet oh, of submarines. Sub- oh, he has a fleet of submarines. Yeah. And he made a movie <laughs> called Avatar, The well, I know that. Water. Yeah. I know that. And he made, um, he made that movie about the submarine. Yeah, The Abyss. Yeah. Michael Showalter, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time again. It's always nice to see you. It's always great to see you. This was very, very enjoyable. Michael Showalter. His movie, Spoiler Alert, is streaming now on Peacock. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here at my house, I have decided that playing Skyrim is self-care. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Tabitha Myers and Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Our interstitial music is composed and provided to us by DJ W, also known as Dan Wally. Our theme song is by the Go Team. It's called Huddle Formation. The Go Team rules thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us in any of those places. Follow us. We will share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. 
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 